Hi everyone, it's Gen or Rice Cube, as you may know me on the Twitter. We're still working out the kinks in the World Series Dreaming Cubs Dreamcast, and as I get better at this, I'll stop forgetting during the big part of the show to credit certain folks who helped us streamline it. We need to thank Randall Sanders for giving us an audio clip of the final out of the World Series. I also need to thank Rich Deanna for letting us use his great song pretty much for free. But if you want the whole song, please check it out on iTunes and support Rich by purchasing it for yourself. The information is in the show notes. I also want to apologize for some of the random sound issues. Some of it sounded like we were recording at a wind tunnel or something. But again, something we look to improve upon for the next episode. Now, on with the show! Welcome back to the Dreamcast. This is episode three. We've had about a week of games, and with me is our fearless leader, Ben, a.k.a. Anil Katuli. How are you doing, Ben? Doing great. It's been a fun start to the season, man. Yep. So you can always find us at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. That's our blog. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. You'll see that in the show notes. We are going to get started with some mail. You've we got actually mail. got some mail this week. You ready? Our first question is from Joe from Westmont. He wants to know, what's up with Tommy Listella? Okay. Well, that's kind of a kind of vague, a vague question. Yeah, it's a vague question. But I think it follows with the second letter that you have. So. Oh, absolutely. It goes hand-in-hand hand with Julie from Romeoville. She wants to know what happens when Doonsing comes back. Okay, so that's Brian Dunsing. So, uh, Dunsing, Doonsing. Eh. You know He's what? another guy who's got to learn how to pronounce his name. I think it's Dunsing, but uh, it could Dunsing. be Dunsing. It, it sounds right. German. Okay, so they do go hand-in-hand hand because, as you know, you can only have 25 guys on the active roster, right? Mm-hmm. And Tommy Lestella and Matt Caesar are essentially the last guys standing on the roster. So what does happen when Dunsing comes back? Well, let's first talk about Dunsing. Like, he's on the 10-day DL. It's down from 15 because of the new CBA. And based on what, what I saw, it was backdated to March 30th, so basically the day before spring training ended. So at this point, Dunsing can come back at any time. It sounds like he's been having some success in the minors. He's had a couple a couple of outings, and he looked pretty good, according to our guy Tommy Birch. Yeah, he hasn't given up any runs. He struck out five of the ten batters he's faced in like something like three innings. So let me just quickly double-check. He's thrown 3.0 innings, so three innings exactly. He's given up one hit, and he struck out five guys. I don't know if he's pitching tonight. This is Tuesday night <laughs> baby against cakes. the New Orleans Baby Cakes now. They used to be the Zephyrs, but now they're the Baby Cakes. I, I don't understand that at all, but maybe that's a New Orleans thing. I've never yeah. actually been to New Orleans. I don't know, but he's looking good. and He's got to be getting close to being officially activated, which means a move has to be made soon. Either Tommy Lestella or Matt Caesar. Hill Caesar, 
would yeah. have to go away. If the fans had a choice, it would probably be Les Delegates and Packin. A lot of people hold grudges for his little tantrum last year. Yeah. My other thing is, like, maybe, just maybe, they decide to DL one of the relievers and bring Dunsing back because right now Mike Montgomery is the only active left-hander. Mm-hmm. I, I think that might be unlikely, though. And I'm not sure which one they they DL. Everybody's pretty much having success in the bullpen. You don't want to really take any of them out. Exactly, and but... it, it, it doesn't make sense to do do that either because of all the built-in versatility. Like right now, I think both Tommy Lestella and Matt Caesar have only seen game action in maybe two of the games. I don't actually know that Tommy Lasella has played the field yet. I, I think Matt Caesar came in as a defensive replacement in one game. I'll have to double check, but uh, yeah, they have both of them haven't played much, and it speaks to like the overall health of the starters. It speaks to how versatile the starters are, and it, it, it's just a really nice luxury to have two guys who you don't have to play, even though they're like major league caliber. Oh, absolutely. You've seen Hayward play center and right. You've seen Schwarber playing first for an out. People play all over the place. That's why I love this team. It's going to be a struggle to get people in every day and get them enough at-bats to even qualify for these year-end awards. I mean, if Hayward keeps splitting time between center and right, he might not qualify for enough time at either position for the Golden Glove. And he's playing some amazing defense out there. And same thing with Elmora. He's not really getting much start, much playing time early on. He's made some amazing defensive plays too. So, But it's going to be fun. Madden can mix and match however he wants. It's just going to be a fun battle trying to keep people happy with their playing time. Right. Yeah, so if it was up to me, I think we, we would probably do what I had proposed earlier on, which is... They gotta trade Matt Caesar because Matt Caesar is redundant. There are too many righties already. He can't play the infield. They'll pro- most likely keep Lestella. And then, depending on their needs, they might either option one of the optionable relievers, like maybe Carl Edwards Jr., who's having some command issues. He's got great stuff, but like you, you oh, saw, that last the, game was just oh, yeah, that was, that was kind of ugly. Yeah, one of them wasn't his fault, but he just couldn't throw a strike. And so those bases were loaded, and then Justin Grimm had to bail him out. So that, that was kind of annoying, but uh, that... <laughs> but hey, we have Grim Reaper, man. The Grim Reaper of offense. Yeah. He put Spats to sleep. Fantastic outing. That was great. And I feel like we have to deal with the inevitable Ian Happ call-up. And the good thing about Ian Happ is that he's playing at both second base and the outfield, so he's basically like a supercharged version of Tommy Lastella and Matt Caesar all rolled into one, and he's a switch hitter. So basically he's a younger version of Ben Zobris at the moment, second base or outfield, and he seems well, to have a lot more power too. Yeah, that's that's at the minor leagues. It's oh, kind of tough to easy. know what he can do at the, at the major league level, but... I have high hopes about that, especially with what he's showing right now at Iowa. I'm sure they'll keep him down for the requisite 12 days to get his uh, defense set up. But 
Yeah, I'm not sure they're going to call him up too soon, though, because there's no place really for him to play at the moment. Right, and that's... I don't think they want to call him up, waste contract time, just for him to ride the bench. Exactly, and like you said, there there's, like, no room for him, so they have a built-in excuse. He's got to have seasoning. There's nobody here, like, unless, you know, Tommy Lastella and Matt Caesar both get hurt and or are traded uh, when Brian Dunson comes up. Uh, there's no way where to put him. <laughs> So he might yeah, even if even if they both go down, there's no place to put him. Yeah, I mean you have everybody's fighting for time, and a rookie, no matter how good he is, he's not going to put anybody on the bench. I mean he's not going to put Baez or Zobrist on the bench. Hayward's playing great defense and he's actually hitting. Schwarber is playing. It's Schwarber. I mean there's no place for him. No matter how much fans want to see it. Yeah, and we really don't want to hope for some kind of injury or anything oh, because no. that that's that's bad. Like that would be a DEFCON one situation if that ever happened, where enough people got injured so that you are forced to call it the inhap. Let mm-hmm. let it play out, you know. But just to wrap up that question, I think when Dunstan comes back, one of Lacella or uh, Matt Caesar is gone. All right, and we have one final question. Jesse from Rogers Park. She wants to know when will Schwarber actually catch a game? Okay. Yeah, I was looking at the calendar about that and let's take a look. So there are so many off days between now and May that I don't think Schwarber realistically catches a game until if you look at the end of April, they are in Boston. So that's when the race of Wrigley is happening at Wrigley Field because they're on a road trip in Boston at Fenway Park. So that starts on April 28th. The 27th is an off day. When we go into May, it's a stretch of 10 straight games. And that's the first stretch of 10 or more games without an off day that I can see. And my guess is somewhere in that time, uh, either on a getaway day game like you know a day game after a night game when both Wilson Contreras and Miguel Montero have caught for a little bit that's when you'll see Schwarber slot in as either a defensive replacement or he'll get a start I, I think that's a that's really the first opportunity you will see see it if it does happen and he is considered the third catcher the emergency catcher but I think in order to spell the other two main catchers they're gonna just gonna throw him a bone at that point so first week of May, I think, is when All you'll right. definitely see uh, some of Schwarber as a catcher. All right. Okay, so we had three questions today. And since two of them are pretty much the same, I think we should make Jesse our emailer of the show. What do you think? Sure. And he gets one of your plethora of bobbleheads, right? Oh, yep. I've got a uh, Fukudome bobblehead for her. So, Jesse, please email us back with your address, and we'll get it out to you as soon as we can. All right. All right. So, for the rest of the show, we have uh, Andy, also known as Behind the Ivy. He's going to talk to us about the road trip since he's a Wisconsinite, and he was actually in Milwaukee for one of the games. So, we're going to talk about the road trip before they came back. We'll talk to Stacy Gasulius from BP Bronx, among other things. She's going to talk about some former Cubs who are now 
on the Yankees, and we kind of joke that the Yankees are now the quad A squad of the Cubs, but they, they are on the up and up as well. And finally, we'll come back with Ben and I. We're going to talk about the home opener and the banner ceremony. So we'll be right back. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Could it be our hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of these ghosts? So now that the Cubs have completed their first road trip prior to returning to Wrigley Field, we have a 4-2 record, a tie for first place with, of all teams, the Cincinnati Reds. You caught me off guard saying that the Cincinnati Reds were in first place. Couldn't have ever dreamed that being the case after any amount of time more than one day. I know, and it's amazing. Like, the first team that they beat up on was the Phillies, which you kind of expect because both the Reds and the Phillies are currently rebuilding. But then they went into St. Louis over the weekend, and... uh they basically trounced them, too. They, I, I think they took either two out of three or three out of four. Uh, yeah, it was two out of three in St. Louis this weekend, which, yeah, I wouldn't have seen that coming. But, but then again, the Cardinals aren't quite as good as they've been in years past either, plus small sample size on a weekend series. So lots can happen. Yes, and I feel like it should be noted a 4-2 and two record this early in the season, no matter which team you are, is good, especially if you're starting on the road. So, you know, there were a few Cubs fans, uh, probably not anybody we follow or anybody we really associate with, that were about to jump off the bridge because, oh, my gosh, the Cubs lost to the Cardinals in the first game. But, hey, they went came back to win the next two, so they won that series. And then they lost a nail-biter to the Milwaukee Brewers in the first game on Friday, which you were at, and then they ended up uh, coming back as well. Yeah, and going on the road against two division opponents to start the season, division opponents that they lost 17 of their 58 games against, uh, that they lost last year against, by the way, so a little more disproportionate than the rest of the league in these two teams. And they won two out of three in both series, which meaninglessly means they'd win 108 games over the course of the season, which they're not going to do. So, you know, winning two out of three, that's pretty solid effort in any series, especially on the road, especially to start the season against division opponents who know you as a defending champion. You take four and two and go home and and take that all day long. Indeed. Uh, I wanted to... Talk about two of the pitchers that uh, pitched this weekend in Milwaukee because you were there. You're a native Wisconsinite, it seems. Uh, you live in Madison, but you were able to make the trek to Milwaukee for at least the first game. So I believe you got to see Brett Anderson in action, and I was hoping that you could give us some firsthand notes on how he looked to you. I, I did see him, and he, he looked good for a guy who has only made more than 10 starts a handful not even a handful of times in his career, you know, he, he looked good. Uh, he didn't strike out many. I think he only had four. I think he walked one, got a lot of ground balls, you know, really ex what you would expect from a Brett Anderson. And if he can give the Cubs something similar to what he gave them on Friday night, and then, you know, more closely in line to what he's done in his career, I 
he's got a 3.8-ish career ERA. If he can give that to them at the back of their bullpen and he can make 20 to 25 starts, you'd count him as a, a really great pickup for the Cubs. And Friday night was actually a, a great first step for him. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree there, Pat. And it, it, it was really good to see him eat up so many innings and it didn't seem like he had any issues. He didn't have any physical discomforts or anything. He, he just pitched the way you kind of expected him to generating the ground balls, as you said. And it was kind of unfortunate that he ultimately did give up the game tying run. And we can talk about the Cubs early season offense later, but generally he kept the, the Cubs in the game. And in fact, throughout all these six games, the bullpen, the starting pitching and the bullpen have been able to keep the Cubs well within the games so that they could strike when the opportunity arose. Yeah. The Friday night, I think the the one thing that cost Brett Anderson a win on Friday was the fact that Jimmy Nelson had pitched so very well. I think, you know, as well as Brett Anderson pitched, you know, Jimmy Nelson also looked good for the Brewers. You know, he gets paid too. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the other guy because he was really good. Uh, let's talk real quick about the slow start because, unfortunately, you got to see the one game that the Cubs actually lost. And uh, they they barely lost even. Uh, they were able to play the Brewers pretty much even throughout the entire game until Mike Montgomery gave up the walk-off hit. But... Again, like at the beginning of this segment, we talked about how Cubs fans were like jumping off the ledge because, oh my gosh, this team isn't scoring any runs and uh, they're having major issues. However, Saturday and Sunday, the offense really exploded. And uh, I think that this is just one of those things that baseball, where baseball happens, where you have a pitcher like Jimmy Nelson, who's just really, really on. And there's really nothing you can do about that except just continue to go through the process, grind your, uh, your at-bats. But on Saturday and Sunday, the Cubs scored like a total of 18 runs. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like this weekend, especially, the, the bats kind of woke up a little bit. It, it looked like they were starting to wake up a little bit late in Thursday's game. But Saturday and Sunday, they really started swinging the bats well, kind of, how you expect this Cubs offense to hit. Uh, Brewer pitching will actually do that for you because as good as their prospects and their young players may be, they're still a little weak in the pitching department. You know, so cure for the common hitting slump in Milwaukee this season. Like most of the guys who started off kind of cold, uh, Chris Bryant was 0 for 14 or something before he finally got his first hit. And then he, he he's been making his batting average more respectful. Obviously, we don't care too much about batting average, but you'd like to see him above the Mendoza line. Anthony Rizzo hasn't really done much so far in the early going, but at the same time, like everybody else in the lineup has contributed. And so he, like back in the old days when, say, Aramis Ramirez was hurt, and then, you know, you didn't have too, too many other guys who could, uh, buck up the offense, then the entire offense was screwed. But this team is so deep in terms of the lineup and uh, how they can generate runs that it doesn't really matter. So if Anthony Rizzo is currently hitting below the Mendoza line and is striking out all kinds, the other guys around him are picking him up. You know, the interesting thing about Anthony is that he's not striking out a ton. He's got 
five strikeouts now in 29 plate appearances after Sunday's game, that's under 20%. You take you take the 17% that he's striking out all day long. He's still taking his walks. Um, he's got three already, so that's roughly 10%. You know, really, he's just not generating much hard contact, and some of the hard contact he has generated has been into a shift. He's not hitting the ball on the line. He's not really going up the other way yet. It's it's been a week for Anthony Rizzo. He'll he'll be more Anthony Rizzo like soon, and when he is, this week will be a pretty distant memory. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And I try to search for this because usually uh, places like MLB.com and ESPN have pitches per plate appearance. But I was looking at Kyle Schwarber's. Uh, at bats, and it seems like every single time, even if he is going to end up striking out or popping out or grounding out to second, and he hasn't done that every time because obviously he's hit like at least two home runs that I know of so far. Uh, he, he's gotten a couple of extra base hits. He's taken his walks. Uh, it just seems like every time he gets up to the plate, he's forcing the pitcher to throw six, seven, eight pitches. And so I was wondering if you knew offhand what his pitches per plate appearance uh, average is so far in this early season. You know, I actually saw something about that towards the beginning of today's game. Uh, Buster only tweeted it out that he's at like 4.7 pitches per plate appearance. Uh, I think it. I think he tweeted it out with with the 4.2 that Chris Bryant is averaging, and I think Anthony Rizzo is around four and a half. So. Between the three of them, not even just Schwarber, they're really grinding out plate appearances at this point in the season. And it's kind of their MO. They're going to take their pitches. They're not going to expand their zones too often. But Schwarber, especially at this point of the season, I think he's leading baseball early going in pitches per plate appearance. That, that seems about right, just from my lying eyes. Like, I don't... Uh, have the luxury of being able to f- pull up a spreadsheet every time I watch the game. I just kind of try to watch it and then uh, search for this information later. But that just seems to me like he's hitting at least four or five pitches. Like even if he's making a quick out, it's some an out that the pitcher has to earn. And then you got the guys behind him who have essentially the same kind of plate discipline. This is a grinder. This is uh, quite literally the the way you envision a meat grinder to be. Yeah, I actually just found the the only tweet from before the game. 4.68 is fifth in baseball. Rizzo's at 4.5. That's 12th, and Bryant's at 4.2, which is 41st. So, yeah, all those guys are taking a lot of pitches, and you know, we saw it with Chris Bryant the last couple of days that eventually the hits will start to fall, and for Rizzo it'll be the same thing. Yeah, and I – like the way the top four are setting up right now with uh, Schwarber leading off, Brian second, Rizzo third, and Zobra's fourth. Like last night, uh, at, like just exploding with the offense. They were, I think, that through the nine innings and however many Brewers pitchers, they saw 117 pitches between the four of them. And the team as a whole saw two, almost 200, which is incredible. And that speaks to like how, you know, even after his bad first inning, Zach Davies had to keep going because Craig Council essentially didn't have a bullpen anymore. They, they were all tired and worn out. So 
that this is like something that will wear out an opponent, especially if you start this off at the beginning of the series. Like even if you don't uh, get the results you won in the first game, it trickles down to the second and third game, and even the fourth game if there's a four-game series. The, the Brewers desperately needed the off day tomorrow. They actually made a pitching move after the game last night to bring up an arm because you know, they saw 11 innings of this Cubs lineup grinding out at-bats on Friday night, and they got another nine innings of it last night where the Cubs scored a ton of runs. So they needed an arm for today, and you know it didn't help that Zach Davies was only able to go five, which in some ways was a blessing because after the first two innings where you know, he was really fortunate to only give up five earned. It looked like it could have been a really short outing, and it would have left uh, Craig Council in a position to either decide to leave Zach Davies out there to dry for no better alternative or to really stretch out another one of his bullpen arms. So let's go to Sunday's series finale before the Cubs head back to the new improved Wrigley Field. We'll talk about that later. So Jake Arrieta has started two games so far, one against St. Louis, the other against the Brewers, both of which ended up being quality starts and victories for him. There's a concern that seems to be permeating through the Cubs' Twitter and, you know, other Cubs' circles that his velocity is going down. And Today, when I tracked him, he was sitting like 90 to 93, and he had all his pitches working. He didn't walk too many people. I think he only had two walks. He had 10 strikeouts, so obviously things were working despite this uh, alleged drop in velocity. Uh, yeah, he, well, the thing about Jake's velocity is that he only averaged 93.7 on his fastball last year. He seemed to be right in that wheelhouse today um he threw a little more of his four seamer today than he had tuesday in st louis which which may help uh, creep up in velocity but jake's velocity is fine first of all early in the season guys aren't throwing as hard as they're going to throw like it's pretty common that the first few starts aren't as as hard as a guy's going to throw so you know the the loss in velocity concern is is kind of meritless with Jake Arietta, the issue is absolutely his command. And, you know, he's walked two in each of his first two starts, which uh, puts him at around a 2.8-ish walks per nine, which is a little higher than he's been when he's on, but it's less than what he was last year when some command issues really showed up for him. Yeah, so I feel like he's perfectly fine. they probably generate a lot of talk about, hey, whether we the Cubs should extend him after the season because this is his final arbitration year. After this, he is a free agent. And are you going to throw $200 million at Jake Arrieta, who would be entering, what is it, his age 32 season, I believe, after this year? Uh, yeah, Jake will turn 32 next March. So, you know, he's going to get paid you know, Scott Boris is pretty legendary for getting his guys their money. So he's, at this point, it it's not likely that we see him extend with the Cubs until free agency. I know Theo Epstein not long ago said, you know, even if he goes to unrestricted free agency, he's not necessarily gone, which is true. 
but it only takes one team to throw a huge pile of money at him. So it's gonna it's gonna be a value judgment for Jake Arrieta whether he's gonna go after opportunity for a massive payday. Uh, I think he's making a touch under sixteen million dollars this year. So he'll go for one massive hundred and seventy to two hundred million dollar payday this year. And it's going to be value judgment if he's going to take a, a lower end deal, probably somewhere similar or less than what John Lester got from the Cubs to stay, or if he's going to chase every dollar and probably end up leaving. Because you you know that the Cubs will definitely give uh, offer him the qualifying offer, try to drag get a draft pick back just in case he leaves. I feel like if I understand this front office and I. I totally uh, concede that they know more, much more than I do. Uh, they know much more than you or I because that's why they run the Cubs and we're just bloggers. But at the same time, uh, I feel confident that he's probably going to leave. He'll give the Cubs another draft pick that they could try to use to replace the pitching. But uh, that's just another can of worms that we'll have to talk about closer to the trade deadline because uh, obviously this is not going to be a light decision. This is one of the pitchers that got the Cubs to back to the postseason, to postseason glory, to the World Series, and it's going to be really tough to let him go. Speaking of pitching, though, uh, let's talk about the other guys because it's not just the starting pitchers. Like All of the relievers thus far have been – pretty solid, including Hector Rondo. Yeah. A lot of consternation about Hector after the spring and the way he closed out last season, but, you know, Hector wasn't good in spring in 2016 either, and if we remember right, Hector came out, and he was pretty awesome at the start of last season. I, I wasn't terribly worried about Hector he Hector's a guy who only threw 15 and two thirds innings after July last year. He had, he had the remarkable event late in the season where he got hurt and, you know, he came back and he never really found a rhythm again. Mm-hmm. I, I figured that uh, with his troubles in spring training and pitching for team Venezuela and the world baseball classic, that a f- lot of fans are just kind of, you know, freaking out. Oh my gosh, what if Hector is broken? What if he's hurt? And, over the course of the spring, they they didn't really worry about that. I'm sure he, he felt bad that uh, he pitched so poorly for Team Venezuela, but at the same time, his velocity was there. The manager, the staff seemed to think that he was okay. He just had location issues. And the uh, past couple of days, I've been seeing tweets about that and – he just said, well, Hector made some subtle changes. They won't say what they are, but, uh, you know, he looks like he's throwing about the same. His fastball is sitting at least 95 uh, just from me tracking on game day and on the broadcast. So he he's healthy, and his pitches are finally going where, where he wants them to go. And, you know, obviously it didn't work during spring training, but those don't count, and it's nice to see him do well. And I think in Sunday's game, like he got two outs in the top, in the bottom of the ninth, and then he gave up a home run, and suddenly he was out, and he had barely thrown 17 pitches. So I think you and I had a talk, like is Joe Madden just saying, well, you know, we're at this artificial pitch cap, let's 
try to keep Hector's bullets for when they really count, uh, so that he doesn't hurt himself again. And well, since Wade Davis is already ready uh, in the bullpen, why don't we just let him in? Yeah, I don't really know what the reasoning was for going to get him. He got he got two quick strikeouts and eight pitches, so looked thoroughly dominant against the first two hitters he saw. Give Domingo Santana credit; he fouled off some good pitches that that Hector probably could have gotten other guys on. He laid off some pitches, and you know Hector. Threw him a fastball, kind of in her half, and Santana got a hold of it and hit it out. That's the way it goes sometimes. He's a big league ball player. Solo home runs when you're up four with two outs in the ninth inning, you can live with that. But to me, yeah, his velocity looks good. He he appears to be finishing his pitches. One note, one thing I did notice with Hector early on is that he appears to be starting out of the stretch, which for him is new because with guys with nobody on base, he's been a guy who traditionally, unlike most relievers, starts out of the windup. So maybe it was an issue where, you know, he wasn't finishing his pitches well out of out of the windup versus the stretch. You know, that's not that's not really a subtle change. So he's still mid to upper nineties with the fastball. Slider looks fine early on. He's a guy who I would expect to actually get better, you know, as he gets into a more of a rhythm and We'll see. It's not like they're relying on Hector to close out games. They have a lot of depth in that bullpen, so you can be patient with him. And if Hector is anything resembling the guy that he's been the last couple of years, he'll get plenty of late-inning high-leverage work. Yeah. I did notice over the first six games, like we can probably talk about bullpen usage when we have a little more data, but uh, on Saturday night, Justin Grimm gave up a two-run homer in the mop-up duty, and he was still able to complete his two innings. Um, I I feel like at this point in the year, maybe they have some data that we don't know or some new philosophy, but they seem overly cautious with a couple of their relievers, like uh, Pedro Strope obviously got in trouble one night. He only went a third of an inning, and then they had to bring in uh, somebody else. I totally forgot who it was that time. But then uh, last night, on Saturday night, he was able to pitch a full inning and looked great doing it. Um, I I feel like these are the two guys who've had injury issues last year, and they're trying to protect them a little bit more, and that – might be totally unfounded. That's just me, like, spitballing, but that just seems to be uh, what's happening right now and why, for example, Mike Montgomery had to eat uh, a couple of walk-off losses. And if we look back to last year before the, the Cubs acquired a role as Chapman, a lot of the reason they got him was to be able to take some of the pressure off of Rondon and Strope because those two guys had gotten a lot of ace and ninth innings for the Cubs really since 2014. So, you know, they have options now. So artificially limiting those guys after a few years where they've had a ton of appearances between the two of them, you know, that's, you know, Hector Rondon threw 72 games in 2015 and 64 in 2014. And he had 54 last year and he only threw nine and two-thirds innings after July 31st. So it was a guy whose arm had been ridden really heavily. Pedro Strope kind of in the same boat. You know, Joe's got options now to keep those guys' pitches down and to keep their innings and appearances down. 
which going into August, September, and more importantly, October and the first week of November could pay huge, huge dividends for this team. Yeah, I think I'm okay with them being careful right now because, like, unlike uh, other fans, I'm not freaking out in the first week. I just want to see what the what the plan is to keep guys fresh. And, you know, you've already seen how he's rotating in position players, but Joe Madden also is trying to protect his pitchers, uh, try to save bullets. I don't think any uh, starter has gone over 100 pitches. uh, If not 100 as the hard cutoff, then nobody has thrown 110, to to my knowledge. So I, I feel like he's just trying to ease them in, and as they get into a groove, uh, you know, velocity goes up, they feel better, they get stronger, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's go to Mike Montgomery. Like, he got two really tough walk-off losses, and, you know, these are all games that the Cubs could have won. So that's one thing to feel good about. The other thing is that Mike Montgomery, until he gave off up the, the final you know, walk-off hit or the walk-off well, pitch, as the case was on Friday, he looked good. And that that's just uh, from my amateur scouting eye. He seemed to be able to generate, like, the kind of soft contact that you wanted. He was able to get strikeouts when he needed to, and he was generally able to limit the damage. Yeah, uh, Mike Montgomery got thrown into two really high-leverage situations, tie games on the road, ninth inning, uh, last Sunday night, it obviously didn't go his way, giving up the walk-off hit to Gritchick. Um, Friday night, you know, a guy went two and a third. Yeah, and those first two were shutout innings or shutout shutout ball. So uh, he he did his job, and it wasn't really his fault that his club couldn't score runs for him. Yeah, he had he had an opportunity to to get a win as meaningless as the pitcher win is on Friday night when the Cubs had the bases loaded with one out in the 10th inning before Ben's overs grounded into a double play. So you know, he, he was kind of left out to dry Friday night with Joe Madden saying after the game that Pedro Strope and CJ Edwards were unavailable. I had looked out towards the bullpen, which I could see pretty well from where I was seated on the third baseline. Those guys never moved. Wade Davis got up in the 10th inning when it looked like the Cubs would score, and when the inning ended, he sat back down. But Strope and Edwards never moved. So it was really going to be a Montgomery to Wade Davis type deal, which is kind of his role. He's he's shown the ability to be a really effective high-leverage guy in, in some late situations, and he's got that, that build-up to where he can work multiple innings. You know, unfortunately for him, he was just thrust into situations where he gave up a run, so so he loses. But I think the situations that he was thrown into last Sunday and then again on Friday night speak to the confidence that Joe Madden has in Mike Montgomery to throw him out there in late-game situations and kind of ride that arm. Right. And I think it's unfair to put too much of the blame on Montgomery, especially since, you know, he kind of got the save in Game 7 of the World Series, and he's not that bad of a pitcher. He's, in fact, good enough that the Cubs are considering using him as uh, a a future rotation option. But let's talk about his battery mate. Uh, Wilson Contreras is now transitioning into the front-line catcher position. Uh, 
He's got a great arm. He's a very athletic young man. He's obviously got a powerful bat. How how do you feel like he he was setting up for uh you know receiving framing pitches and what, if you were the manager would you let him call a game at this point or is he getting his signals from the dugout? It feels like he is calling the game at this point. Hmm. Um, interestingly enough, Buster only had a an article out today about changing the foreign substance rules, which came into play on Thursday with the Cubs. But at the bottom of that, there were there were little notes, and one of them was that Wilson Contreras and John Lester had sat down and watched film of their start last Sunday. They went pitch by pitch, and it was noticed that Lester only shook off Contreras one time. So it seems to me that, that Willie is building a relationship with his pitchers, knowing what they want to call and how to attack hitters in certain situations, and that he's more or less calling these games. And it actually works really well for the Cubs to break in a young rookie catcher like Wilson Contreras with this pitching staff full of you know, veterans like John Lester and John Lackey and Jake Arrieta and Brett Anderson, and then a guy like Kyle Hendricks who skirts around the edges and you kind of know what you're going to get from him. So this pitching staff for Wilson Contreras is really a match made in heaven because he's got veteran pitchers to lean on to help him work through calling games. As far as how he was setting up Friday night, um, I noticed it, and it was mentioned on the post-game show as I was driving home after the game that Jim Deshays had mentioned it during the broadcast, how Wilson Contreras was setting up two feet off the outside of the plate, and it appeared that that was the reason why Mike Montgomery uncorked the ultimately game-losing wild pitch. Mm. You know, Wilson just couldn't get back to it. I thought that was interesting and really distracting with him moving back in toward the plate as the pitch was being delivered. So if he's uh, shifting a little too much or maybe not positioned correctly, that will lead to, you know, maybe uh, advancements on the base pass, uh, just miscommunication with the pitcher as to location and whatnot. I have, like, nobody sets up to throw a pitch, especially with the bases loaded, where walking a guy is going to cost you the game. Um, nobody sets up for a pitch, really, in like the left-handed batter's box. And I can't imagine that Wilson Contreras was setting so far up outside completely on his own. That may have been something you talked about with Mike Montgomery, because I haven't noticed him actually try that with anybody but Montgomery on Friday night. And granted, I haven't watched every inning the Cubs have played this year, but it's unfathomable to me that He's a guy that's set up there without the blessing of probably Mike Bordello and the pitcher he's working with. It just looked really weird, and ultimately it looks like it at least contributed to them losing a game on Friday night. And it's not that big of a deal if there's something that they can uh, adjust to and fix before it becomes a major problem, a perennial problem. But at the same time, it's just something that kind of jumps out at you. Let's talk about Jason Hayward now. Let uh, He was working on his swing all spring long, uh, basically pretty much since the offseason started because he moved to uh, Arizona, to, uh, the Cubs facility. Uh, he's just kept working on his swing throughout uh, the winter and spring, trying to build muscle memory. And on Sunday, uh, he could have gone five for five, but... I think he was robbed 
like on two of those three occasions for sure. And on the other one, it might have squeaked through if not, uh, you know, if he had positioned the ball maybe an inch away from VR's glove. Yeah, Jason Hayward hit the ball hard five times today, which is great to see from a guy who struggled so mightily last year. Some of his hits in yearly going this year have been a little bit lucky. But frankly, after last season where he didn't get any luck and didn't really have a great swing, you know, he's he's kind of earned some of that. He's not striking out. I think he's only struck out once this season. You know, he's he's seeing the ball really well. You know, again, he had an opportunity to walk out of today's game in Milwaukee with three extra base hits, which would have been excellent. You know, driving in a few more runs. So a little more closely resembling what we expected out of Jason Hayward when he signed. You know, 25-ish plate appearances into the season. It's not necessarily what you expect or what what you need to base your opinion on going forward but definitely so far so good for Jason Hayward and as the season moves forward if he can be anything resembling the Jason Hayward that he's been in his career who hits between 260 and 270 and then has uh, on base in that neighborhood of 350 you know you take that guy with the defense yeah because anything above the defense at this point is gravy because the lineup is just so deep. But you definitely, like, if we're paying, well, I'm not paying them, but if the Cubs are paying him, like, $180-ish million over the course of this, this contract, you know, assuming he doesn't opt out, then you'd like him to hit a little bit. And if he's hitting like this, if he's scalding every every single ball, even if they make outs, like the process is what matters. And eventually some of those will go through and that's what we like to see. Yeah. I think the lowest exit velocity had today was 96 on the fly out to center field at the end of the game. You know, all of, all of his batted balls today, you know, are hits over 30% of the time, you know, only two of them were. So that's definitely a good sign for Jason Hayward, something that you hope he can continue moving forward. When you couple that with his his really good defense and his outstanding base running, he's a guy who could really, really help a team that doesn't actually need that much help. Indeed. Okay, so we're going to uh, see the Cubs at home at Wrigley Field. I'll talk to Ben about that soon. Uh, let's talk about you. You're on the Twitter. I am on the Twitter. You can find me at, at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. I should have the first week of minor league game coverage coming out towards the end of the week, right around the time this podcast drops. Yeah, that'd be great because we've seen like, uh, Hamer, Jamer. Is it Hamer or Jamer? You, you, you correct me. Um, I've been calling him Jimer. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce his name, but yeah, Candelario has been pounding the baseball for the Iowa Cubs in their first series at Oklahoma City. And, you know, some guy named Hap started out with three home runs in three games too. So all of that and more in the, the early minor league coverage. Yep. On WorldSeriesDreaming.com. We'll be right back. It was more than 
just a game. So we're back on the World Series Dreamings Dreamcast. Uh, we have our special guest with us, Miss Stacy Gatsoulias. Did I say that right? You did. Yes, I am awesome. All right, Stacy writes for, among other things, uh, Beyond the Box Score, The Hardball Times, Baseball Prospectus, The Bronx Affiliate, which d- covers the Yankees, and FanRag Sports. Where can we find you on Twitter, Stacy? I am at Stace, S-T-A-C-E, Gots, G-O-T-S, because my full name was too long and too, you know, too much of a problem for Twitter, so I shortened it a bit. Yeah, so I it's actually a funny story. Like when Mauricio and I started this Dreamcast, you were one of our first guests, and you were awesome, and that was like many years ago. So we literally have not talked for years, and this yeah. is wonderful to talk to you again about uh, the Yankees and former Cubs who are on the Yankees. Yeah, we, we spoke. That was a really long time ago. Yeah, we talked I, about I'd A-Rod. I actually forgotten so. about that. And when you brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So that was a lot of fun. I think uh, Mo followed you first, and then we eventually followed each other. And it's it's been fun. So uh, the big one that I want to talk about is a former top prospect in the Cubs system, Glabor Torres, who is supposedly a shortstop. They'll, he'll probably move to second base because he's kind of a big dude. But it, it was a really tough uh, pill to swallow to see him being traded to you. So we'll talk about Glaber first, and then we'll talk about the guy that we was traded for. How, how do you feel about him so far? Uh, I like what I saw during spring and, um, you know, hearing about how well he did in the Arizona Fall League. And I think this kid is the real deal, and I'm looking forward to him – you know, maturing and progressing and making it to the majors. That That's basically the consensus I've seen as, as I read about him. And we, of course, as Cubs fans, know very much about him. And that's why it was so painful when they had to give him up uh, among three other pieces to get a role this tra- Chapman. But, uh, you know, like, it, it's just painful to see, well, yeah, a role this Chapman obviously helped the Cubs win the World Series, but then you read about, and Glaber Torres is, like, getting extra base hits and home runs and this and that, and everything's coming out Yankees for him. And it, it's just really, really tough for us. But uh, I'm glad you're enjoying him. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I'm not sure how soon he'll be up on the big club, but like I said, I, I am looking forward to it. For the guy that he was traded for, Roldis Chapman, I recall once upon a time reading, uh, among other articles, you had written about how you felt about Roldis Chapman because he infamously had a domestic violence incident and was suspended for 30 games. That was part of the reason why the Yankees were able to get him for cheap. He performed extremely well, and then the Cubs grabbed him at the deadline for Gleyber Torres and three other prospects. Yeah, I I wrote about my experience of being at the stadium the first night he came back and the first night he came into a game, and it was just, it, it was just weird seeing what the Yankees did for him, making it seem like he was returning from something that wasn't a domestic violence suspension. Like he was like the returning rock star and it was just really uncomfortable. But, you know, I get why they got him. He, you know, when you watch him pitch, 
you know, most of the people will talk about his fastball and how fast he pitches and how hard he pitches. And, you know, he's regularly hitting 100 and 101 and even dialing up to 103. But the other thing about him is that he also has a slider that he can throw. And people don't talk about that as much. So watching him pitch, as much as I don't like the personal stuff, it is a marvel watching him going from 100 plus and then dialing it down to 87 and 89. And it's just, I don't, I I don't understand how hitters can possibly hit off him. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, when he gets tired, then Rajay Davis will happen. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, I totally get what you're, you're saying. I, uh, when he, was the trade was essentially finalized. I, I had to grapple with that and, you know, it's great to watch him throw 103, 104 and see those numbers on the board because I got to be in a game where he actually saved the game and I saw those numbers like, <laughs> that, that's, that's crazy. But then it, it's hard to reconcile at, you know, I'm a sports fan, but I'm also a human being and I don't like the fact that I have to cheer for someone who's, who could be like, you know, morally compromised in that way. And and it just felt really strange. And that's why when it wasn't him on the mound, like he got the win, but he wasn't on the mound when Mike Montgomery uh, got the game ending and essentially series clinching ground out. So I I felt okay about that. And I understand why they traded for him. I just wish, you know, and, and this would have been benefited you as well, but maybe they should have gotten Andrew Miller instead. <laughs> no, and then, then I wouldn't have felt so bad. But uh, at the same time, it, it it turned out okay. And I guess he's not uh, shooting bullets into things in his garage anymore. So maybe he's learned something. Let's hope so. Indeed. Let's talk about happier things. So there was another trade that happened uh, last off season, and. Uh, that was Starling Castro. He He's uh, gotten off to a very interesting start where he hasn't walked or anything, but he's gotten a lot of hits, and they're all singles. So he's got a very strange batting line where all the numbers are the same. Yes. Yes, I saw that on Twitter, and I wrote it down in my notes for this podcast because I thought it was hilarious. And so Castro. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he he basically, like, for the four or five years he was a Cub while they really, really sucked. That was Castro. He would not take any pitches. He had good contact skills, and he basically lived and died by his Babbitt. Yeah, um, watching him this past season was... There were some moments where he actually did pretty well in August. August was his strongest month, but there are some at-bats where you just know he's going to swing into the opposing batter's box at pitches that are like three feet off the plate and you could see it coming. And even when it does happen, you're just like, Oh, how could you do that? <laughs> right. But, you know, I, I like him at second base. He plays a good second base. And, you know, I mean, as frustrating as it is to watch him sometimes at the plate, you know, he does well enough. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's not Robinson Cano anymore. Um, because who can be Robinson Cano other than Robinson Cano? But, yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't mind the move when they made it. And, you know, Cubs fans told me that he'd be up and down and could be frustrating to watch. And he's lived up to that hype. <laughs> yeah. At least he's on a relatively good team, team-friendly team deal. And uh, 
you know, when he gets streaky, you'll you'll have you'll see a good week, and then you'll see like a bad two or three weeks, and then you'll see another good week. So it, it's gonna be until he learns, which I don't. I think he's at that point where he's too old to learn. Uh, it, 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 it's you, you basically get uh, got what you get, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, his middle infield uh, partner is no longer Didi Gregorius because Didi got hurt during the World Baseball Classic, I believe, right? Yes. And so now you have Ronald Torres, and I, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to remember how he became a Yankee because he was like traded to the Reds for in the Travis Wood trade, and then I just kind of lost track of him. And then in this uh, uh, preseason, I realized, oh, Ronald Torres is also a Yankee. So how did he get there? You know what? I have to look that up myself because I don't even know. He just suddenly appeared. Yeah, for was, me, at least. Maybe it was a waiver claim or a, or a non-roster invitee, but he he apparently is doing quite well, like defensively and offensively. So far, you know, um, one of the beat writers joked that, um, oh yeah, they got him off waivers mm-hmm. from the Angels in February of last year. Okay, That's so he's been a Yankee for over a year now, and I just totally flaked on that. Yeah, because, uh, oh, let's see. Oh, he was traded by the Dodgers to the Yankees and then selected off waivers from the Angels, and then the Yankees got him back like five days later or six Ah. days. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, But one of the beat writers said, you know, who was going to hit the first Yankee home run of the season, and I jokingly quote tweeted him and said, Ronald Torres, and then he did. Yeah, I I saw that, and I was like, hmm, well, (laughs) she knew something we did not. And it wasn't a cheapie. He hit that pretty far. You know, it landed 10 rows up from the uh, left field wall in Tampa, so it wasn't like some dinky home run. It was kind of, it was pretty hilarious. But, you know, he's holding his own, as tiny as he is. Um, you know, his listed height is 5'8", but I don't believe that for a second, um, especially when you look at pictures of him with Aaron Judge. I mean, he looks like his young child. So <laughs> I think uh, Castro himself is six, six feet or six, two. So if you look at him versus Castro and you see is like a head, head smaller, he can't be five, eight. Right. Right. But he's, you know, he's doing a great job of filling in for DD. So, you know, that's one positive thing about the first week for the Yankees. Right. And you guys uh, just recently ended Baltimore's unbeaten streak, so that that means, like, nobody in MLB has an unbeaten record anymore. Yeah, I was very happy about that. It seems the Yankees are better uh, coming from behind against Baltimore because when they have leads against Baltimore, they choke them away. So, yeah, today was better. They actually started in a hole and then came back and won, so... <laughs> well, I'm very happy for you guys, and it's cool that for the Yankees too, because like your your organization is always flush with money. Like obviously, they want to reset the the uh, luxury tax penalties because they're kind of hefty this time around. Mm-hmm. At, at the same time, like you know, last year when uh, the Yankees trade away Aaron, Mil- oh, I'm sorry, Andrew Miller and Roldis Chapman, we we all thought, well, it's about time for them to rebuild, and then. You know, they went kind of on a on a streak, and I, I don't know that you're uh, rebuilding anymore. Right. It's kind of like a, sort of like a rebuild, but not 
in the way that other teams rebuild. Because the Yankees, they don't get really bad before they get good. You know what I mean? Like these last few years, sure, they haven't made the playoffs and, you know, they haven't finished, you know, above second in any year, but it's not like they're 20 games below 500 and um, really like stinking up the joint. Like they do it in a different way than other teams. Right. And I saw an article or maybe it was just a tweet that Brian Cashman says this was the best uh, Yankees farm system he's had since the early 90s. And we know that not uh farm system produced guys like Jeter and uh Mariano Rivera and Posada and all that. So that's something to be said. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think people got to see what Cashman can do when the front the rest of the front office and ownership actually let him do his job. Like what he was able to do during the trade deadline. That's what you get from Cashman. Because there have been years where Ownership has gotten in the way, and they haven't let him do his job. And I really liked what they did at the trade deadline last year. Some Yankee fans didn't because they're all about winning now, but I was all for it. I mean, if you can stock up the system the way you did and then maybe win down the line a little bit, I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I... The Yankees were essentially the reason I got into baseball in the first place, so I, I feel kind of like we're kindred spirits. We want the Yankees to do well because that forces everybody else to do well, to try mm-hmm. to beat the Yankees. And I did kind of joke because of all these former Cubs like uh, Glaber and Sarlin and Ronald, they, they are all on the Yankees now. Like it, It's kind of a reversal of fortune because I grew up when I was watching baseball and like high school and college, I grew up with the perennially awesome Yankees. And now it's kind of reversed where the Cubs are good and uh, the Yankees are just kind of going on the way up. So it's almost like now that the former Cubs are in your team, you're the quad A affiliate of the Cubs. (laughs) Yeah. You you know, we, we can't say that. Like the Yankees have 27 championships and the Cubs have three now. So it's, it's not really comparable, but it's just kind of funny for me to think about because we recently uh, got to experience what you you got to experience. Yeah, I've experienced it a few times in my lifetime. Uh, I mean, I was alive for 77 and 78, but I don't remember much. The first Yankees World Series appearance I do remember is 81. I had an alarm clock radio that I listened to the last out of the last game, and I cried myself to sleep. Oh, uh, yeah, because they lost to the Dodgers that year. Yeah, I was only seven, too. So <laughs> I was like, I knew it was bad that the Yankees lost, so I was all upset. And I hadn't been to a game at that point yet, so um, I didn't get to go to a game until I was almost nine. My dad waited to take me. And uh, I remember being mad about that because he brought my brother to a game when he was like four or five. And... Even back then, I thought it was unfair just because I was a girl <laughs> that my brother got to go first. So let's uh, switch gears. You have among your rotation, I, I guess, a rejuvenated Masahiro Tanaka. Like he recently registered something like 96, 97 on the radar gun on his fastball. And that's something we haven't seen since his debut season when he had the partial UCL tear. So I, I guess resting it just made him better. <laughs> uh, he, he healed, he got healthy, and now he 
he didn't have to lose all that time with Tommy John surgery. He just decided, well, I'll be patient and I'll take it easy, throw my off-speed pitches, and when I feel good enough, I'll just let loose. Yeah, I think yesterday it was more frustration from him, and he was really trying to get out of that inning, so he was firing up the fastball. He actually, in his first start, he threw more sliders and sinkers, and then in this start, he threw more fastballs, which is weird for him. He doesn't do that usually. Um, and I think it was more of a frustration thing for him. He was uncharacteristically showing emotion on the, on the mound because, you know, his first start was awful. And this start was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like the first three innings, he was great. And then he fell apart in the fourth and the fifth inning. I feel like I watched Tanaka through my fingers because I still think his elbow's going to blow up. <laughs> Like, that's always in the back of every Yankee fan's mind. Like, if he throws too hard, we're just afraid that something's going to happen. So I I hope he can figure out what the heck is wrong with him because the last thing the Yankees need with a rotation that's iffy to begin with, uh, they don't need their ace to be awful. So <laughs> hopefully he figures something out, and then hopefully Pineda will figure something out. We'll see what happens with him, too. But, yeah, Tanaka... I don't know. These last two starts were very strange for him. So, like I said, hope he figures it out. Uh -huh. So these were essentially his first two starts of the season, so maybe he will. Like I, I just was kind of surprised and actually encouraged by his velocity. Like like you, I kind of cringe to see when he's going to grab for his elbow and whatnot. Yeah. But if he is healthy, if he does figure it out, and even if he doesn't, uh, do you think he's going to opt out? Like, let's assume he's healthy, he goes through, he makes his 30 starts, he's got like a 4-ish ERA, like let's say he maxes out a 4-5. Do you think he still opts out? Mm, I don't know. I'm usually bad with this kind of prediction. I'm better with, you know, figuring out that Ronald Torres is going to hit the first home run of the season. Um, <laughs> I think think it could be a situation like CC Sabathia a few years ago where he opted out, but then the Yankees resigned him like right away because he, you know, let them know that he actually wanted to stay in New York. I think Tanaka might be the same sort of thing. If they show him that they want him, he may just opt out just to get a better deal and maybe they'll give it to him. I mean, they have money coming off the books. So, you know, they're, they're going to have CC's money off the books. They're going to have A-Rod's money, money off the books. So they'll have money to do stuff. But I guess we'll see. And we'll see who's available free agent-wise also. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Yankees actually do this offseason and how much Tanaka's decision plays into it. Right. And the Yankees are so financially competent and... Like, obviously, Cashman is a good GM, so I don't expect them to be down for long. Uh, you know, at this point, I guess they are chasing uh, the Red Sox, and who knows what's going to happen with Toronto and Baltimore and Tampa Bay's just doing weird stuff again. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't expect the Yankees to be down for long, and I look forward to, hope, you know, seeing Starling Gastro in the World Series on your side, though. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, he, he kind of deserve, deserves it. Like, he lived through the crappiness of the Cubs. Right, right. You know, and he, he took a lot of 
hate from a lot of the Cubs fans who should be kind of rooting for him because he was essentially that period's uh, perennial all-star. And he took a lot of unfair criticism, but at the same time, he's not as good as people made him out to be, but he's not a bad player. Right. He's a solid player. And yeah. th- there's value in that, and I, I hope you you guys you know take a lot of pride in that value. Well, I think uh, smart Yankee fans will. There is that faction of Yankee fans that just think everything's horrible and everything's the worst, and they don't see the good in anything. But the smart ones will. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm familiar with that because like every team has that. The Cubs for sure have that, and. Uh, it's it's nice to hear another team's fan base say that as well. <laughs> cool. So thank you very much for your time, Stacy. I will put your various links in the show notes. You can follow Stacy at Stacegots on the Twitter. She's awesome, and you won't regret it. Could it be our hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of? slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time! And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series! The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious ten-year-olds. The Cubs have done it! The longest drought in the history of American sports is over and the celebration begins. Yesterday, we had the home opener at Wrigley Field, also known as the ba- the banner-raising ceremony. It was an amazing night, even with the hour-long non-rain delay, then 30 minutes of rain. But the ceremony itself was just amazing. If you read my blog, which will be in the notes, they raised four different banners. One for 1907, one for 1908, one for the 2016 World Series win, and then the 2016 pennant for winning the National League. The atmosphere was just insane. People were standing up or on their feet the entire time, cheering and just celebrating. MVP chants for Bryant and Rizzo. It was just an amazing night. And then the game started, and it was just an amazing game. The field itself looks a lot different than what you're used to. The bullpens, as you know, are gone. It looks very weird without the bullpens actually on the field. The walls are close to the foul lines, which takes away some opportunities for the tarp to catch, but the tarp is still there for Mr. Rizzo, and I'm sure he'll get another catch at some point this year. But the bullpens are in the outfield, they're behind the, the Under Armour doors. And if the light hits it just right, you can see inside the bullpen. So you can actually see somebody who's warming up. You, you think so? Because uh, the doors seem like they're one-way glass. But did, were you a- actually able to see like through the Under Armour doors uh, what, where you were sitting, even in the dark? Because it was a night game. Um, with, the head, with the lights on top of the stadium, they, if it hits it in a certain way, you can almost see in, if only it's just like shadows, but you can almost see inside of it. But it does. Okay. <laughs> there are photos shared of the bullpens by various Twitter guys, and it just looks great inside of it. Yeah, I was hearing that uh, 
guys like John Lester and uh, Justin Grimm appreciated the enclosed bullpen. They don't have to play the Travis Wood chicken game anymore. Yeah. Uh, they they don't they aren't as distracted by fans, even though you know. The bleachers fans obviously can see uh, inside because that's part of the appeal of sitting in the bleachers. You get to interact Mm -hmm. in some way, even though they're behind the glass uh, with the guys in the bullpen. And there is like a little sign that says, please do not disturb the Cubs or whatever. (laughs) So, But please, please annoy the the opposing pitchers in the bullpen. But don't throw throw anything at them. That would be kind of disrespectful. Indeed. You you had told me that there were way too many people in the plaza for you to get a good look, huh? I tried getting some good pictures of the bullpen and of the plaza, but there was too many people on the porch that was overlooking it. I couldn't get close enough to get a good shot, but there's video boards that were showing clips of the game. Mm -hmm. There's the Starbucks in there now. There's the new Cubs store. It looks like it's a nice place, and you went through today on the off day, right? Yeah, so on the off day, thank goodness they got the game in. You know, obviously they won on a walk-off, which was pretty appropriate. It was a good game. I, I followed it until the dead the night because I was like, yeah, there's no way they're losing this because, you know, the bullpen held and they were able to get the heart of the order up in the top, in the bottom of the ninth. So that was nice. We got to walk around the ballpark. We saw the statues. We saw where, you know, that I think next year they're actually tearing down the Captain Morgan Club and building a new new Sheffield and Addison Corners corner store or a restaurant or something. So they haven't torn down that part of the concrete yet. So you could see where the concrete is still the same. And then around the marquee is where they put, like, the iron fencing. And it looks really nice. Like the the old decrepit uh, concrete is is still you know there, but for now, yeah, closer to the marquee, you see the the fancy gates and and it does look nice. Uh, we did get to go on top of the plaza. We didn't like obviously they're not going to let you into the uh, into the stadium, so we couldn't go up the stairs on the new west gate, which I think you were describing. But mm-hmm. we did uh, get to see it. We saw the banners. We saw the big screen. It, it's a very nice plaza. And the unfortunate thing is that it's all fenced off because the city won't <laughs> – they won't let you uh, go in on game days without a ticket, which kind of defeats the purpose of the plaza. But, you know, even you said that it was so packed on a game night that it, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea anyway. So maybe the city had a no. point. Yeah, people are lining up already at 6 a.m., right, Mr. Crawley? Yeah, Crawley. <laughs> that guy's everywhere now. Yep. He's starting to become a famous guy. Yeah, he's uh, going to be a ring bearer tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I fun. sent him a message asking if he'd want to write us a blog about his experience, but haven't heard back from him. So, Crawley, yep. if you're listening, send me a message. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, we went to Starbucks. They're very nice. The store was nice, too. Uh, there is a station, actually, in the store where you can take uh, pictures like you are in the clubhouse or in the scoreboard. And my son had a blast with that. We got three pictures that he wanted where he was, like, running the bases or in the in the tunnel to the Cubs home clubhouse. That was nice. So how much more is the Starbucks at Wrigley than 
the typical overpriced coffee at Starbucks. It seemed about the same, although uh, son got hungry, and so I had to buy him a $2 cookie, and it's like, dang, I hope that was a good cookie. <laughs> I like their cookies. Oh, Starbucks has yeah. some good cookies. I enjoy yeah. it. And I did notice that because of the off day and the winds, they took off a lot of the flags, so I didn't see the banner like you did on Monday night. Yeah, I'm still disappointed that they didn't do my idea with the banners. Even though I'd like that they have the banners for the 1907, 1908, 2016, I honestly thought they'd have all the like the World Series banners on one pole, all the pennants on another, wild card berths, division championship banners, each on their own pole. Because I thought there would be something unique for the Cubs. I think they'll probably do that like once they catch the Cardinals or even the Yankees with 27 uh, world championships now. They have four flagpoles. They could run the flags all up and down each pole if they wanted to. So they're, 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 they're trying to make things a little, <laughs> a little unique, a little more spacious at the moment, just so in case they have to add on for more. This year when they win another World Series title, another flagpole goes up. Why not? No, no, no. They, they, yeah. They'll keep the four flagpoles, but they'll try to space out the flags a little bit better, I think. Maybe, but it's still a, still a great sight to see. Just to seeing all the banners that are going up out, out in the outfield. And you know there's going to be some more with this team. So I know you're a season ticket holder in the bowl section, not the bleachers, so you can't go in the bleachers. But uh, were you able to see any new additions, like new bathrooms or or new concourse? Uh, um, there is a new – looks like there's going to be like a new beer garden inside the seating bowl, right opposite of the fan services booth. That's still under construction. It says it's opening up in June or July, one of the two, I forget what the sign said. I'll double-check on Saturday when I go again. But there's still some restaurants that are being built that are coming in. It's amazing. I was talking to some people at fan services. I sent out a tweet about this on Monday. They are even getting some World Series championship rings. Nice. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be quite the level that, say, Theo, Ricketts, the players get. But it might be on the same level as, say, I don't know, Clayton Richard. I think he was on the team for like a game or so last year. Yeah, and then he got dumped and mm-hmm. now he's a Padre. So that's okay. That's good for him, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's a, look at the people that played on the Cubs last year. Who's that one um, guy that got called up for an emergency start just to test the water and got DFA'd like right after? Oh, man. Who, who was that? Brian Mattis. Mattis. Even he is going to get a World Series ring. And Adam Tim Ward Fedorovich. is going to get a World Series ring. Yeah. It's amazing when you look at the people that are going to actually get championship rings. They won't all yeah. get the same top quality, but they will all get some version of the World Series ring. Because in one way or another, they all help the Cubs hmm. reach and win the World Series. Indeed. I want to get to the banner ceremony. I got to watch it on TV on a kind of a delay. I listened to Pat Hughes talk about it for a little bit, and then we went to the delayed feed. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I got to see it, and it looked like a lot of fun. Uh, you and your mom got to go, since you, you're the primary season ticket holders. Uh, how did you feel about it? Oh, there was not a dry eye in the stadium, man. There, with Rhino raising up the 1907 flag, 
You had Fergie raising up the 1908 flag. You had Billy Williams raising up the, the 2016 pennant. And then Rizzo was raising up the 2016 World Series championship flag. Cheers went up for each and every one of the flags. It was just an unbelievable experience. It was probably my favorite Cubs game ever attending. And I've attended some amazing games. Oh, yeah. I've seen no hitters. I've seen clinching games. I've been to a World Series game, an NLCS. But this game was just, and it wasn't even the game itself, even though the game was amazing. Mm -hmm. But the experience of being at this game was just unbelievable. The atmosphere, the emotion coming from the crowd, it was just untoppable. There's nothing, I can't compare it to anything. If you thought you were having fun at home, watching it and getting teary-eyed, you should have been there just to feel the energy and the emotion among the crowd. It's Words cannot explain. Words cannot do it justice. I figure that you, you guys probably, like you've been on the Cubs fan a lot longer than I have, So it's, and you're sort of a native Chicago area guy, so it, it's a lot more meaningful to you than to me. I, I jumped on the bandwagon a little later than you did. Yeah. But hey, plenty of room on the bandwagon. Yeah, they need money. <laughs> As you can tell by the raising of the ticket prices, all the money that they're spending on construction with the plaza, but uh, they're, they're making money hand over fist right now. They're just printing it at Wrigley. Yep. And if for every fan that drops off because they can't afford tickets, there's 10 more waiting to take their spot. Yeah, I <laughs> Probably think a I'm lot more than ten. Number twenty-two thousand something on the wait list. So by the time I can afford it, I might actually get the call. Maybe. Maybe. Might have might have to knock over a bank first, but uh, we'll we'll see. Um, hey, I'll be the first to offer you the spot in my season ticket package at some point if you ever want to buy a handful of games and you can afford it. I hope I can keep him going into next year, but if they raise it up another 15%, I might not be able to. Yeah, might have to hit up some friends for for help. We'll see what Mm -hmm. happens. For anybody that's listening, we do usually sell all of our weeknight games, so please send us an email at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com if you have any interest. And it's typically face value, too. A couple bucks above just to cover the shipping cost that we had to pay to get the tickets, but... It'll be a lot cheaper than you get it on the secondary market, and they're amazing seats. And the same email you can send to worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Any questions you have for the pod, any comments you have, like we, you know, just barely started this up again. I am essentially Amish when it comes to technology, but it seems to be sounding okay. Like, the sound quality is good. Uh, we got, like, over 300 downloads of the last podcast so somebody's listening like we wish that you would actually comment and rate us on itunes so that we can get even more but you know that's a good start and i, th- I think three questions for submitted in our third dreamcast isn't too bad but please email us tell us we suck tell us you love us ask us questions ask our opinions and if you get selected as the question of the show I've got a lot of Cubs giveaways. I got bobbleheads. I got cups. I got. I've actually also have a kid's um, catcher, chest protector backpack 
that I could give away at some point too. But I'll try to give away uh, some one of the Cubs prizes to the question of the show each time. But we need more people to send in questions if you want to have a shot. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, like you know, it's just us talking, and that's fun. No, too. it's always fun talking baseball, especially when it's winning baseball. Yep. As, as of the dropping of this podcast, the Cubs will either be in first place or half a game back of the Reds, who forgot that they were bad. So we'll we'll see what happens. There. So who are the Reds playing tonight? Uh, the Pirates. The Pirates are uh, kind of bad right now. They're, so they're the, at 500 at So the are the Cardinals. The Cardinals are worse than I thought they'd be. They're well, it's, it's early. They're crap out of left and right. Yeah, it's very early, so we'll see if they figure their stuff out. But, yeah, it's not looking as good for them as we had thought. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Fowler. I like the guy, but I love seeing the Cardinals lose. Well, he, he, he chose. He chose poorly. Well, no, not poorly. Like, he's going to get paid, but I, I feel like he probably should have picked a different team. But anyway. I bet he wishes he chose the Blue Jays at this point. A little less money, but a winning team, I think. I, I think so, too. And a free health care. <laughs> <laughs> but who really wants to live in Canada? Sorry, Canadians. Uh, Dempster, yeah. Johnny Taves, I love you guys. Stop sending me hate mail. <laughs> Canada's nice. Uh, if you are interested, we are at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. You can find our podcast on iTunes. That Those links will be on the show notes. You can find... Ben Anokatuli at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. And I'm Ken. I am also known as Rice Cube. You can find me at Cubic Snarconia. Those will be at the show notes. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Please send questions. Have a good day. Good night, everybody. Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs. In our hearts, we'll burn the fire you flame. It was more than just a game.